explanatory section consisting of five chapters dealing with the, uh, the nature of Sakyavrati, Rati, its history in the, over the centuries in the Sampradaya. Um, the, uh, the means uh, to attain it, both Raganuga Bhakti and within that the Sambandhanuga Bhakti and um, also a chapter on a particular, the, the, the most exalted form, as it's thought, uh, of Sakyarati, that of Krishna's friends who deal with, uh, who are involved in his romantic life. Um, so, um, that first part of the book has been written, the second part is then a, a narrative of the Leelas of the Bhagavatam, a retelling of them, those, those Leelas that constitute the Sakyarati center of the Bhagavatam. And um, the um, um, that section is prefaced by a chapter which is rather philosophical but interesting describing the nature of Leela the concept of Leela and so forth and then we enter into the lighter but um, but more elevated uh, actually Leela narrative itself uh, that again is a retelling of these Leelas drawing upon the source material of the Bhagavatam and all of the um, prominent uh, commentators on the Bhagavatam, uh, charges have authored other books in which they have also um, retold this story and other leelas of Krishna, like Anandamadaman Champu of Kavikarnapur, for example, uh, Vikopal Champu of Jiva Goswami. Uh, also the Leela Grantas, Kubanilila uh, Amrita, um, uh, and so forth. Uh, and for philosophy as well, which is interwoven in, in, in the narrative, um, um, also the entire corpus of Gaudiya literature. Um, and uh, it's a fitting feature to a book on Sakurati because really the hearing of the Leelas is very, of course, very charming and very user-friendly and very powerful uh, means to uh, gain impressions for that ideal that will carry us in this life and other lives and so forth until we attain it ourselves. <clears throat> and the retelling of it, although it has been done uh, by, as I mentioned, by different charges over the um, centuries and so forth. Prabhupada did it as, as well in his uh, Krishna book and so forth. Um, one feature of this retelling, this narrative, is to uh, draw out the points, uh, important points and feeling um, for the narrative that is found in some of the, well, all of the original, I must say, commentaries and and uh, retelling of the stories that, in my personal opinion, have not come across through English translations um, in a manner that that does justice to the poetic nature of it and the and the capacity that the narratives had, I believe, in their original language to captivate. 
people, uh, their emotions, their minds, draw them in, and so on and so forth. Of course, now Prabhupada, he did it in English, but English is not his first language either. So um, that is a feature of this uh, particular um, retelling. The retelling of the narrative, of course, as I mentioned earlier, begins with the 12th chapter of the 10th canto of the Bhagavatam, where Krishna is in his final stage of his uh, childhood on the cusp of uh, maturing into boyhood. And um, he is in this phase of his life now just um, has become a a calf herder through some negotiations with the elders and so forth. Uh, upon expressing his desire to pursue his dharma, that of a cowherd boy being the son of the king of the cowherds of of Braj, Uh, but being tender in age uh, at the same time, um, as I say, uh, negotiated um, um, proposition was embraced, let him take care of the calves. So uh, the Sakyavati center here of of the Bhagavatam begins with the calf herding of Krishna, and um, and also serves to bring out in narrative form the most important uh, philosophical point, point of tattva in the uh, in the uh, of the Srimad Bhagavatam, which Jiva Goswami has described as the key, kind of like the password to entering into the secrets. Of the Bhagavatam, he uses the term Pariba Sutra, and with reference to the one line of third uh, chapter of the first canon of the Bhagavatam, Krishna's two Bhagavan Svayam, that he writes then a whole Sandarbha about to uh, explain the theological and philosophical implications of it. But here it comes in a narrative form, and um, the most intelligent person uh, amongst the gods, the devas, uh, amongst the devas, Brahma. Uh, bears uh, witness to it. That's all part of these chapters. We're just uh, reading and discussing a little bit of the first part of that section, which deals with the um, departure from the norm in the day of Krishna's life, which normally begins with Balaram blowing his bugle horn and waking all the cowherds who assemble in Nanda Maharaj's courtyard and subsequently uh, wake up Krishna and the day begins and so forth and we've, we've read and, and, and talked about that um, how their dreams throughout the night are fulfilled with the sound of Balaram's horn and they enter into in the waking state within the fifth dimension of their of consciousness that they are residing um, and enter into the fulfillment of their, their dreams so to speak and it's an all day Calvarating affair and so forth, but the 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 peculiarity um, of this particular day that the Bhagavatam begins this narrative with is that Balaram, by force of parental affection, with regard to a an observance of a of kind of a monthly remembrance of his birthday, when the asterism that presides over his birth passes through on the month, then it's celebrated. So. Some relatives from afar were there, and by the bonds uh, of parental uh, affection, he was tied uh, to uh, and home homebound under house arrest, and um, could not 
um, accompany Krishna and his friends in the pursuit of a plan hatched the night before by Krishna himself to have a picnic lunch. So it means leaving a little early, hmm? before all the cooking uh, goes on, preparing the meals ahead of time, packaging it up individually for each and every boy, and so forth. And, and off they go. So Krishna, rather than waiting for Balaram to wake up, when he wakes up early, he blows his horn. Everyone comes except Balaram, who uh, just tries to imagine what extraordinary things might happen on this particularly pecul- day off to a peculiar start with an extraordinary enthusiasm of Krishna to uh, to set the day uh, in motion. Given this um, exceptional nature of the day and uh, out-of-the-norm kind of uh, circumstances, uh, the Bhagavatam uh, really begins the Sakinarati narrative in a very explosive way. It, it's like this is the ordinary day. Every day it's like this, but this is peculiar and special. And and in in, in, in one sense, Sukhamuni uh, uh, narrated to the, to the sage. It came to him in this way to start it uh, on this particular day, which, let's say, really causes the Sakharasti body to kind of burst and bloom and blossom on the lotus of the pages of, of Srimad Bhagavatam and um, and at the onset just capture everyone's the readers, uh, the listeners, the hearers uh, attention um, so uh, we've, we've gone through some of this and um, and in our reading and, and discussion we uh, we came to the point that um, that proceeding through the morning Departing for the forest, we experience the tension between Sakiras and Vatsalyaras, and uh, and and um, how uh, uh, pathetic, if you will, uh, that scene is, um, with the inhabitants led by the elders of the village, wishing Krishna to remain behind. And this is taking place at that demarcation between the forest and the village, and the forest then pining for the entrance of Krishna and inviting him with almost like a, a like a, a, a spring of its own to to correspond with Govinda Madhava, the the the, 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 the personified himself. Krishna's name is Madhava, and Madhava means the spring. During spring, the forest it just Bursting and blooming with life and anticipation, possibility and prospect and uh, very hopeful, hopeful time and so forth. So all of the, the forest is, is taking on this character, hmm? inviting him as if to say, and I mentioned this earlier, while the parents are are concerned that this cat herding, this is difficult. You know, the big men are doing the cow herding and. A, even a calf could step on your tender foot and uh, and please uh, you know here take your shoes take take here mandali badra to hold the umbrella over Krishna's head and Krishna refuses to take them hmm? he says we are cowherds and our lives intertwined with cows they don't have shoes you're not giving them shoes so I don't wear shoes Mother Soda says what do you mean they all have shoes hmm? they all have hooves anyway he dismisses it 
and um, and, <coughs> and so it becomes even more like of a of a of a concern for the parents his refusal of all the things they 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 try to soften the day with in their own own minds he refuses but the forest is the same time showing it's showing itself as if to say you don't have to worry the cow herding which is a chore will become just a play where you will will provide everything necessary for the calves and uh, and 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 also intrigue it, it shows a, a face of intrigue and what mysteries might lie cows are after all curious themselves what speak of young young cow herds hmm? Um, and so it's it's very inviting on the one side, seeking the sambhog, the union of Krishna, and very disparaging on the other side, as the, as the village uh, uh, love turns, uh, waxes, waxes, wanes to the side, to the low tide of, of, of separation. But we've crossed over that, and Krishna's entered the forest, and he has... Uh, Begun sporting with his friends, and the sporting has been described in, 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 um, um, in ways by Sugadev Goswami uh, that uh, by which he, and we've really played that out considerably in our uh, uh, retelling of it, uh, by which he comes to the conclusion that, that the position that these Boys hold in in their relationship with after all Bhagwan is absolutely mind-boggling. He 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 gives a, a an example of what could be attained by yoga, by gyan, by Vaidhi bhakti for Narayan. Doesn't come close to to this um, possibility that they're experiencing, and therefore the question comes to mind: How is it that this how did they get here? What? It, what's the way? What kind of activities did they perform over lifetimes hmm, to have attained this? And this is where we ended our discussion earlier um, today. Uh, he says, Krita-punja-punja, they must have done heaps and stockpiles of some kind of extraordinarily supernatural pious piety to, to, to attain this. By piety in general, you attain the grace of God. Of course, beyond piety is doing what you're supposed to do, hmm, is acting with gratitude, which is the beginning of showing showing love, and then uh, dutiful love, and then love itself, if you will, uh, uh, self-forgetfulness rather than self self-conscious self-sacrifice, so to speak, to use terms invoked often by Bhujapad Sridhar um, so, uh, uh, if we can become captivated hmm, by such narratives with the ideal and, and the implications, philosophical implications that Sugadeva kind of ends his rests for a moment after telling of the playing of the boys and describing it in some detail, um, um, we can be cap- captivated by that ideal and understand, as I say, the philosophical reality that he concludes with it that this is not attainable by these other means which are uh, are spiritual in nature and do afford a transcendental experience of salvation liberation from 
from all the troubles of life and, and uh, even positive bliss, um, especially in the form of Vaidhi Bhakti. But this is reaches far, far beyond this. Then, if we, as I say, we're captivated by the, that ideal and we understand this, this is underscored in our and uh, in, in embraced by our intellect, then we have really a, a firm ground to stand on in our practice in pursuit of something that we know from this may take many lifetimes even. But it's, it's, it's uh, once you've kind of been captured by this, you're stuck. You, you can't settle for, for something less. It, it doesn't have the charm. It doesn't have the power to drive your practice. And the practice has to be considerable. Hmm? Uh, these friends of Krishna, for example, they're all ragatmikas. They are they have anadi siddha samskars. So it means that without any beginning, they have perfect uh, tendencies, impressions to serve Krishna. There's nothing coming from outside. They're just constituted of them. Hmm? The idea of ragbhakti is that those impressions from them through the Guru and Parampara will come to us. And of course, as they come to us, such a high ideal, they meet head-on with all the material samskaras that we have, that our whole kind of chitta is constituted of, practically, and the chitta dharpan marginum uh, begins, which is is a considerable um, task. Um, if you read the Yoga Sutras and what it means to to clear the chitta of the uh, samskaras, you may run away and close the book. People think you know, yoga is a bit flaky. Well, read the sutras on it. It's a serious, serious affair that um, that has a very, um, arguably, an objectable, uh, an objective. Um, how do I want to say it? A, a an ideal that is that um, is. Uh, Almost, almost observable. Hmm? Observable, that means in the person of the yogin, hmm? of the siddha, of the adept, who has, as I mentioned earlier today, mastered his mind, hmm? mastered his physicality, his senses, the human emotions. In the average everyday world, we're taught that to harness the emotions and be objective is the way to arrive at truth. Science prides itself as, as being objective and not being carried away by feelings. And I think, I wish, I feel it should be like this. But the objective observance from a non-biased perspective tells otherwise. And so therefore, that is, that is the truth. And of course, the truth that they come to with regard to what is the nature of the mind, for example, and consciousness, is something that um, is very one-dimensional uh, for, the, for the most part, the, the, the prominent uh, perspective, very one-dimensional, and um, it, it's, 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 the, it's the attempt to naturalize, in other words, make physical, for all intents and purposes, that which is so unphysical, mind, hmm, um, uh, rationality, even, consciousness proper. Of course, we distinguish between these, these things, which for them is one big blur, mind, and mind is the brain. And, uh, and but as I mentioned earlier, today, who will we listen to with regard to this? Someone who wants to tell us what the mind is by priding themselves, appropriately so, 
in objectivity and observation rather than speculation, subjective feeling, and so forth. But at the same time, do not have the objectivity and the distance from their own emotional life, mental emotional life, to be able to sit for, for, for 30 minutes and focus their mind on one particular thing. Even five minutes. Even one minute. Hmm? And they're going to tell us what the mind is? Compared to a, a, a spiritual adept who is who can sit for however or, or focus the mind hmm, um, without interruption who can master his or her um, emotional life in ways that, that aren't even dreamed about by by the scientist and materialistic uh, philosopher so uh, in the objectivity to their um, perspective hmm, um, is manifest in their physical and mental personhood that, which we can observe. We can't observe internally what they're experiencing, what they're reporting on, but the external um, persona of these um, uh, mystics, saints, is the epitome of objectivity. Hmm? Is, and as much as objectivity requires distancing oneself from one's emotions, stepping back, not being plugged in, looking at it objectively, just the facts, ma'am, just follow the follow the money, whatever it takes us. We'll get, you know, these are uh, some phrases that illustrate that that point. And this is a universally accepted point hmm? that by harnessing your emotions, your feelings, hmm? and your mind with your intellect, you'll come closer to truth. This is what yoga is all about. It just takes it to a point that nobody could, most people can't fathom uh, harnessing emotions to that extent, mind to that extent, and find the discipline to do so to be so challenging hmm, that it's practically dismissed or cheap entrepreneurial imitations of it uh, are dismissed and, and, and perhaps um, for good reason. Hmm? Yoga seems lightheaded hmm? to the philosophical community and, and kind of a, you know where hippies went from you know <laughs> where they were at to you know giving it some form and having a name or something like that. And it's very sentimental and the crowd is very sentimental. You know, be in the bog, T-shirts and so forth. Um, but Again, look look to the Gita, look to the sutras, for Stanga Yoga, for example, of Patanjali, who's a disciple of Vyas. You see, this is a heavy, serious uh, uh, challenge that if you want a, a challenge in life to pursue the truth, and that involves harnessing your emotions, and so well, here, here, here's a method, and see the extent to which it works. So, I think there's good, credible uh, evidence that such person's reports hmm, um, are worthy of considering. They're the reports. They're, these are uh, um, notions about the nature of reality that were then pursued systematically and experienced. Hmm. So, um, uh, yoga with all of its 
sophistication as a method hmm? and the extraordinary results that it can bring about hmm? arrives at a, 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 a perspective in transcendence that, that doesn't even doesn't even register on a scale of comparison to the, the kind of union that these Sakurati simple, as it appears, cowards are having with the Absolute. It's just mind-boggling. Sukadev, who's a pretty good yogi, jnani, and became a bhakta, and so forth. His testimony is, is, is um, credible in that sense as well. He was a jnani. Hmm? Right? He was a jiva mukta. He heard Bhagavatam and he had a, a, a inner trans-psychological transformation and Bhav came in him. And now he's narrating to Sukadev as, as, as an answer to the, to, the, to the transcendental system, if you will, to the, the in, sincere inquiring spirit of Parikshit Maharaj. And his narrative is his path. Sukadev is noted in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu Shri Goswami as the example of a person who perfected himself in Bhakti by Kirtan. This is his Kirtan. Hmm? This narrative. And particularly the 10th canto of the Bhagavatam. Hmm? And so he is a budding Sadhana Siddha as depicted in the Bhagavatam. Hmm? And he's pretty developed at this, at this point. And so he, he, the fact that he has to pause after this uh, description of their play and just just kind of think about it for a moment or just stops his mind, explodes his mind, what this is, he's trying to like say to us, this is extraordinary. He is extraordinary in his own right. Hmm? So to be on the path with such people, to follow the path of Sukadev, this is this should encourage us to to deal with whatever obstacles and impediments that, that may arise, and there will be many. Hmm? So that's where we come to in the in, in, in the in the narrative to this point. Um, so who are they? What you know? What's their what's their path? Hmm? Um, Among the blessed gopas, there are three groups. One group consisted of ragatmikas, nityasiddha associates of Brahman Krishna. Two other groups were some mandanuga sadhana siddhas. One group within those, within that group, entered that. One group, excuse me, one group that entered Krishna's nityalila from the celestial realm of the devas, and the other group of sadhana siddhas that entered this intimate circle of friends from Earth. The celestial group also started their sojourn on Earth, but having only partially perfected their practice, they took birth among the gods. In other words, this group's imperfect practice of Sambandhanuga Bhakti resulted in in attaining that which those in pursuit of heavenly delight can only attain by perfecting the practice of Varnashram, which is not easy to do. The gopas attained heaven and more because they ascended to heaven with something else in mind, a much higher ideal. Thus their ideal ultimately defined them 
And because they were in heaven, when Krishna manifests his leela on earth, they were blessed to join it. Rather than returning to earth and continuing their practice from there, the normal course. Here the important point is that the embracing that embracing the ideal of Sakyarati results in the very least in attaining something that transcends piety and impiety. It also makes small liberation, both monistic and devotional forms of salvation. Let us now allow the Leela itself to illustrate this further. Mm-hmm. So, so it's a nice, nice point uh, um, with regard to heavenly pursuit Varnashram Dharma. It's not easy to attain heaven through Varnashram Dharma. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in Varnashram Dharma, you have to do everything right. You can't have any mantra present, pronounced the wrong way or light the fire at the wrong time, face in the wrong direction. All of it has to be per- perfectly, because the emphasis there is, 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 is on the ingredients, the externals. Because there's not much internally, there's not much love hmm, in Varnashram. It's it's uh, kind of um, I mean, it's it's far beneath the dutiful love of of Vaikuntha. It's following the laws, so to speak. Uh, so, um, on the other end of the spectrum, of course, where we have Rag Bhakti then the love is, is so prominent in it that even if you do everything wrong externally, it will be made up for. Hmm? Um, um, by the driving uh, force of rag, of attachment, of ruchi, um, and so forth. So, um, not easy to attain heaven by Varnashram, but easy to attain by imperfectly practicing this ideal of even even yoga would speak of Rag Bhakti, which is of course a form of yoga as well. Um, Bhakti yoga, Prabhupada's commentary uh, includes that within yeah, this commentary on those verses of the Gita. These are verses from the Gita that say, "The yogi who is not perfect in his practice attains the heavenly planets." Hmm? From there, sometimes he comes down again, born in the pious family, and, and his samskar for yoga again picks up, and again he pursues, and so forth. That's the normal course. Mm-hmm. Um, Prabhupada described himself in that way. That the second verse in that section says, and then those who are almost perfect, mm-hmm. rather than going to heaven, they take birth in the family of Vaishnavas or transcendentalists on earth and perfect themselves. And he used to say, that's my position. I was born in the family of pure devotees and so um, that's how he repeatedly described himself when he asked about his his past referencing to the the Gita but here is a peculiar thing that that some have gone to heaven stay there for a long time but Krishna only comes once in the day of Brahma that's a really long time and as we know when he was about to come this was communicated Vishnu communicated to to Brahma Hmm? Telepathically in his heart, that yes, the, 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 the earth is in need of an avatar, so I'll be coming soon. Let the devas know to also come and, and, and assist me and so forth. Hmm? So the implication is it's possible from heaven rather than the norm coming back to earth and continuing practice, you can 
take birth in your Leela. Having gone to heaven for with a different idea in mind, ended up there as a byproduct without that being your ideal. You're in a peculiar position within the celestial realm. So, continuing, the play of the Gopas described by Sukadeva was so absorbing and so pleasing to Krishna that he and Sakas forgot about the picnic they had planned the night before, for which special individual lunches for each and every Gopa had been prepared. In other words, each and every Gopa had his own taste and preference. Hmm? And there are unlimited numbers of them. And the lunches were prepared with each and everyone's transcendental taste buds in mind. <laughs> this is a very extraordinary <laughs> idea. Um, <clears throat> thus, Krishna's Leela Shakti, because they had played, been so absorbed in their playing that they forgot about eating. Remember that they had, were carrying their lunches on a stick over their shoulders, but having to hold it with one hand impeded their ability to play. So they hung the lunches on a tree and with two hands they jumped in and imitated the forest uh, uh, creatures and so on and so forth and, uh, and amused Krishna immensely with their play and got so absorbed that they forgot about their lunch. So Leela Shakti is now coming to help push the Leela along as it's planned and she needs a diversion, something powerful, very powerful, to divert them from their play. It's just to give you, just to illustrate how absorbed they were in that play. How, just to forgot everything. This is, uh, they're lost there. Hmm? They made vows, as I said earlier, never to go home. Again, they do it every day, ignoring the fact that they can't follow that. Because, well, the cows have to go home, so we have to bring them in. But, so they, there needed to be a very powerful diversion to bring them out of that to take them in the direction of then remembering that they were there for picnic and having their lunch and so forth. So Leela Shakti, hmm, Krishna's Yogamaya, or as, as another term we refer to, intervened to distract the gopas from their play. See how she did it. She did it. She did so by allowing the very personification of impiety, Agha, means sin, to assume the form of a gigantic python and lay himself on the forest path. His Mouth gaping open. That is a huge distraction. We need this contrast. How big the distraction was, and this is the primary reason for Agasura's appearance. There are secondary reasons, but from the heart of Sakyaranti Leela, this is what's really going on. Hmm? You can say this happened for this reason, that those may be true, but there may be an overarching higher reason that something happens. And being privy to that, is to understand the situation comprehensively. So we go to this first. This is the reason. And this is extraordinary. Sin personified in the form of a huge python appears on the pathway. How could a demon otherwise get into Vrindavan, into this play that is beyond piety and, and ordinary bhakti? So it has to be a divine arrangement of the Leela Shakti and just helping the Leela to progress along for the pleasure of Krishna and his friends. So, Agasura is allowed to come in. And there he lies himself down. And of course, he has his own reasons why he thinks he got there. Hmm? He thinks he got there in this way and so on and so forth. But there's, there's 
there's more just like later on Brahma will think he came with his own purpose in mind only to realize that Krishna orchestrated the whole thing brought him there to 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 bring him along in terms of the Raga Bhakti that he was um, um, impressions for which he received at the dawn of creation so uh, so Lila Shakti brings in this Agasur the all-devouring mouth of sin thus opened before the cowards causing the devas to shudder in fear knowing that despite their heavenly attainment, they remain within the serpent-like sin's striking distance. Mm. Hmm? So you can go to heaven, but it doesn't mean that, by pious results, but it doesn't mean that you're no longer prone to be affected by impiety hmm? and to come down from heaven. And so this is up and down, up and down, roller coaster of Varnashram that Bhakti helps us to step, step off of that and get grounded on a path that will have a result that's permanent, hmm? permanent and pleasing. So the dev- devas are f- fearful because they have material desires. Hmm? You have material desires, you're going to have fear. They have fear and sin personified. It's just illustrating the point. The devas, an attainment of devlok and so forth, celestial realm, is, 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 is it doesn't constitute becoming free from fear, which it, which is that. That which pervades the entirety of material existence. We're, we're pervaded more than by the sexual impulse, by fear. Hmm? You see, you just make a move and the bird flies. They're living in fear hmm? uh, because we've taken, you know, we've hunted, and we're, we're, we're being hunted. Homo sapiens, of course, at a certain point, rose within from the current way of thinking about the history of man um, rose from within the kind of conglomerate of the the animals hmm, to rise above and come to the, come to the top of all the different uh, uh, species and minimize it's thought the fear that every other creature lives in. Hmm? There are predators and then there are those that they, they prey upon, right? Hmm? Um, but even the biggest predator is prey for for someone where there are natural disasters and so forth. And and, uh, and he may be a predator, but he doesn't get anything to eat. And he has the fear of not getting something to eat. So, But as much as it's true in one sense that we see that humans have risen above we don't live with the same kind of trepidation that the uh, forest creatures live with. Hmm? But we've hardly become free from fear and, let's give it another word, anxiety. Hmm? It pervades our existence. So, you know, don't get too carried away with the position that humans have attained within the animal uh, kingdom. Hmm? The prospect of humanity does, however, offer us to arise with the opportunity to actually transcend fear altogether. And, of course, it's said, uh, fear itself. What was it said? Was it Nothing to fear, but fear itself? Fear itself. That was a politician from Europe for World War II. The yeah, uh, Churchill. Churchill, right? right. And we say that fear itself is afraid of Krishna. That's what the Bhagavatam says. Afraid of his name. So, um, now, 
this is the condition of the devas. They saw the Sagasur. They shuddered in fear. However, while the gods shuddered in fear and doubt as to the fateful outcome of the cowherds, Krishna and themselves, in the face of Agasura, the gopas were fearless. Indeed, their bhava turned the gaping mouth of sin into a playground, begging exploration. Gazing upon this forest phenomenon, the gopas pondered, the majority of whom concluding that the serpent's mouth was the opening to a vast cave. And while they considered the possibility that might not be a cave, but rather a giant serpent seeking to devour them, they nonetheless did not hesitate to enter into Agasura's mouth. Indeed, pretending in childhood imagination that it was a serpent of gigantic proportion lying before them, they marched within the cave of Agas' mouth, confident of Krishna's protection. So, just a contrast here between the position of the devas and the position of these gopas. They turned the all-consuming mouth of sin, bad karma, repercussions, consequences, or undharmic action, negative consequences. They, 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 their bhava turned that mouth into a, into a plague. They had absolutely no fear from it. In fact, it, 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 it took on a positive a kind of uh, position hmm, by the force of, 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 of their bhava. So this is, again, just underscoring the extraordinary position that such uh, uh, devotees have attained. Hmm? The arrival of Bhagasura in the pages of the Bhagavatam is well placed. This Asura's intriguing appearance and a curious challenge of entering the cave of his mouth it presents serves the purpose of showcasing the central feature of Sakirati, its sense of the Saka's confidence in their friendship with Krishna. We discussed this Vishramba, the Pradhan, the, the root of Sakirati, it's the sense of confidence. As Sharanagatas, they were confident of Krishna's prowess and protection. And as Siddhas, they were confident of the mutual praying that they shared with Krishna. So there's, there's two stages of this. When we speak about uh, the confidence in Sharanagati, um, what is it? Same idea, Vishvas, Vishram, confidence. Uh, they're confident of, in Sharanagati, we're confident of Krishna's protection. Hmm? So that's on a lower level, but it's important nonetheless. And certainly they were Sharanagatis because they were Premakas. So Sharanagati is the stage on which this drama, as I often say, of Krishna Lila will will enter the heart. So they had the confidence of Sharanagas, but far beyond that, they had confidence in the mutual, their mutual love for Krishna, Krishna's love for them, and their love for him. They had absolutely no doubts in that, and it was, uh, uh, and as such, they were absolutely fearless. Thus, throwing caution to the wind, they all marched fearlessly into the jaws of sin. What does Krishna say in the Gita? Sarvadharman Pritaja Mamekam Sharanam Prajam Tom Sarvapapi Moksha Yashami Masucha. He says, March into the mouth of sin and I will protect you. Don't have any fear for any reaction for not doing your Varnashram duty, which could be called sinful. Just take shelter of me 
and I'll take care of the rest, something like that. So here's an example of it. So in caution the wind, they all march fearlessly into the jaws of sin, even as Krishna, understanding the situation in the context of the leader, desired to protect them and prevent them from entering. So this is from the Bhava perspective. Now Krishna said, oh, my friends are entering a dangerous situation and I want to save them from that, but I'm at a distance from them at the moment and, and they're already you know, on his tongue. Um, and here we find, therefore, the power of the Gopas' liberated will prevailed in its competition with Krishna's will as they entered Aga's mouth despite Krishna desiring otherwise. So there's this competition between the will of Krishna and the will of the devotee. And here the will of the devotee wins out. The will of the devotee is only for the pleasure of Krishna and Krishna is willing only for the pleasure of the devotees. So the power of Sakyarati is again illustrated that the desire of the gopas prevailed over Krishna's desire. Hmm? What then is the power of his friends, the power of Sakyarati? It deftly dispels impiety, dismisses material sanctity, grants salvation, and overwhelms Krishna. There is, of course, a backstory to the sudden appearance of Agasura along the forest path. Thus, we have far we've only discussed it in terms of its primal, or excuse me, primary causal factor, Rilashaki's intervention in the interest of keeping the wheel on course for its pre-planned picnic lunch. Here, I refer to the previous life of Aga and Kamsa's atrocities that included sending Putana and Baka to Brudge to kill Krishna, both of whom failed miserably and instead met with their own demise. These two were Aga's sister and brother respectively. Thus it was not difficult for Kamsa to inspire Aga to pursue his agenda and the course of doing so avenge his sister and brother. Aga's approach to the task at hand was to swallow Krishna's friends and calves, which in turn would surely cause Krishna to follow after them and be devoured as well, thus avenging his siblings and assisting Kamsa in his desire to kill Krishna. However, although Krishna followed his friends, neither he nor his friends and calves met with disaster. For that matter, neither did Agha, who, to the surprise of the demigods, attained Sarupi Mukti, as we shall see, attained a form like that of Narayana, hardly meeting with one's demise. Doesn't seem fair. <laughs> In what sense? Doesn't seem fair, you know, to for Aga who went to kill Krishna, he attains a form, he attains liberation, when everybody else who's trying to attain uh, uh, Krishna is struggling. Well, he struggled too. He had previous lifetimes. As the cowherds followed by their calves entered Aga's mouth like straws proceeding into the fire of Agasura's belly, Krishna became overwhelmed with Karuna Rasa, the aesthetic rapture of transcendental compassion. Under the influence of Bhakti Rasa, Krishna was overwhelmed with compassion and concern for his very life in the form of his friends, friends he could not live without. Indeed, his very identity as a coward depended upon them, as their existence also depended upon him. Although his heart melted with compassion for them, knowing that his friends had no shelter other than himself as they playfully marched towards their apparent demise, his compassion then turned to astonishment. Thus, Adbutaras, 
entered the drama, such that Krishna's discrimination that was lost in the face of his compassion and affection returned with his astonishment at Lila Shakti, and he skillfully determined how he could both save his friends and calves and at the same time slay Agha. His own life unraveling before him with the prospect of his friends' demise such trans-psychological emotions followed by his full powers of discrimination drove Krishna to enter the serpent's mouth with a plan to save his calves and comrades. But referring to your question, it doesn't, or your point, your, your comment doesn't seem fair that people are struggling for lifetimes in Agasur. He had this other disposition that was negative and inimical even, and he attained. This is, of course, just meant to illustrate for us sadhakas the, the merciful nature of Krishna and give us confidence hmm, that despite our inability, shortcomings, and so forth, um, we have hope because our um, our deity is of such merciful nature, and we depend then on that mercy. We we we, we draw upon, we expect it. We come to expect it, live for it, and as we do, it comes our way. So, fortunately, there are examples. Is one of them in the Bhagavatam um, to illustrate the merciful nature of our deity, and that in comparison to other deities. So you want to choose another deity, then you're not going to find the same compassionate, merciful nature in Shiva, for example, or in uh, even in Narayan, who's very just, and so forth. Krishna's um, much more ruled by um, um, his uh, by a merciful nature. Um, so, this is Krishna's primary preoccupation, protecting his devotees, in comparison to which establishing dharma is only secondary. This secondary purpose was accomplished in this case as a byproduct of experiencing astonishment at the work of his Leela Shakti and expressing compassion for his friends and acting on it. Agasur resisted swallowing, waiting in anticipation for Krishna to enter his mouth. However, upon entering, Krishna kept the serpent from swallowing, despite the fact that he had closed his mouth by expanding himself within his mouth in order to save his friends. As such, Aga suffocated and Dharma prevailed, while Krishna and his friends and the calves all walked out of the serpent's mouth unharmed. Thus the sinful Agasur met with his demise, and, as we shall see, with moksha as well. The secondary purpose, however, took precedent in the minds of the devas over Krishna's primary purpose involving the unseen arrangement of Krishna's Lila Shakti. Indeed, they were not privy to such insights and to the intricacies of Krishna's primary internal Shakti that Bhakti is constituted of. However, among the devas, yet above the crowd of those personifying and presiding over the macrocosm of the world, presiding, excuse me, in the macrocosm of the world, over the microcosm of earthly beings' emotional and active lives stood the giant intellectual four-headed Brahma. So the devas correspond with our emotional realities and active senses. They're personified um, expressions of those in the macrocosm that we are our biological and physical sense itself is a microcosm of. So what's in the microcosm 
must be in some form in the matter of Carlson is the idea so um, but above the crowd of these devas who didn't have this insight that we're talking about is Brahma giant intellectual four-headed Brahma and this particular Brahma was fortunate to have been blessed at the dawn of the Shristi Leela with Bhakti Samskars for Sakirati his guru Sri Gopal Dev himself in Gopavesh posing in the Gyanamudra. Mudra this is described in the ninth chapter of the second canon of the Bhagavatam thus among the gods concerned only with Dharma he alone among the gods had a natural attraction to Krishna's earthly excuse me early coward life and a budding curiosity as to its nature but what happened next astounded all of the devas including Brahma just prior to Krishna's emerging from Agasur's mouth Agasatma burst through the Brahmarandram at the top of his head this is the objective of Siddha Yogis seeking to enter into the world of the Paramatma however that world of transcendental majesty was within Krishna constituting only an aspect of himself and its corresponding realm the Bakuntaloka thus Agasatma hovered above waiting for Krishna to emerge from his now deceased body then then and then Krishna awarded the Atma of Aga with Sarupya Mukti attaining an effulgent spiritual body like that of Narayan Paramatma this Mukta respectfully awaited Krishna's emergence from his previous sinful serpent's body then in his newly acquired spiritual body brilliant and blinding in its effulgence he appeared to merge into the body of Krishna as Krishna himself emerged from Aga's previous body the Atma itself cannot be seen even with celestial eyes thus, thus it was the effulgence of the spiritual body that Aga was blessed with by the God that, that the gods glimpsed as it entered into Gopal Krishna in whom even Narayan is contained here we find it the beginning of the lesson in Tattva that this Leela underscores Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam Narayan is inside of Krishna. This is the beginning. It comes out more and more as this, these chapters go forward. Knowing Krishna to be the source of all forms of divinity is the key to understanding the tattva of Srimad Bhagavatam that revolves around this truth that is central to this Brahma Vimohan Lila. Knowing this, Krishna asserts in his song to Arjuna. Knowing this, Krishna asserts in his song to Arjuna. One can engage in the kind of worship by which one can. Knowing this, Krishna asserts in his song to Arjuna, one can engage in the kind of worship by which one can enter the Ragmar. Udubhava Samambhita, Bhagavad Gita. Krishna says, Knowing me to be the source of everything, one, can, one has then in place that which is necessary. To give one's all in all hmm, to the deity, as he can fully reciprocate this implication. The way the way to Sakirati involves locating and recognizing he who can, who can accept such love, Rasaraj Krishna. Agasur did not attain Sakirati, which, as we know, involves a specific culture of this kind of bhakti, Samandanuga. Instead, he attained the more general Sarupya Mukti. However, Agasur's attainment was 
a byproduct of Krishna's own absorption in Sakya Rasa. Krishna's compassion for his Sakas resulted in an overflow of this kindness by which Agha became a Kripa Siddha, one whose spiritual perfection is a result of mercy Kripa rather than a result of spiritual practice, sadhana. There is no instance of such attainment on the part of an Asura in relation to any other form of God. Only Krishna grants moksha to those who approach him with inimical feelings. As such, no form of God is more merciful. So you could become a big you know, demon and approach him like that, but you won't get Sakyarati. <laughs> Furthermore, while Aga's Atma became Emukta, its identity as Aga, his serpent body left behind, was purified and preserved, serving as an ongoing place of pastimes for Krishna and his friends. A cave with a gaping opening that extended inward a great distance and depth. In the pages of Srimad Bhagavatam itself, Sukumani, Sukumuni describes this as follows. O Raj, the body of the boa dried but did not decay and became a cave-like place of amusement for the cowards for a long, long time to come. This deed, Hari and his friends, dear friends, dance with near death and the deliverance of Aga occurred during the final period of the coward's Kumar age. However, the boys who witnessed it disclosed it to the others in Braj a year later during the beginning of their Poganda age as if it had just occurred. This is setting the stage for the next chapter. Curiously, this fantastic story was not shared with the elders of Braj until one year after it occurred and then as if it had just happened. So naturally, Pritchett Mars, well, we see. Of course, when it was shared with the elders of Braj, it was, in their elderly estimation, fairly believable, for young boys are known to exaggerate. But Sakirati Sadakas believe it, as also did Raj Pritchett. And the mystery of why it took one year for the story to be told is something attentive practitioners should be keen to understand. Indeed, the Raj, sincere and serious in his budding Jata Rati Rag, rightfully reasoned that there should be no secrets between Guru and Sisha. To the sincere, spiritually advanced student, the teacher reveals all the esoteric truths required for attaining the goal of Sakyarasa. Understanding the king's keen interest by which he caught this apparent minor detail of the narrative and inquired further about it, but Ryani, Sugadev, lost external consciousness, exhibiting Sattvika Bhava of Pralai, passing out, as he had done earlier in the narration. Knowing that Sugadev was prone to such bouts of ecstasy, Raj Pritchard asked his son, Janmanjai, to assemble various instruments for Kirtan at his side. As such, in order to receive, re- revive Sugadev, Naragrishi, with great effort, led the kirtan of Radhika Ramana, Nam, as others responded. Then, coming to his senses from the depths of his samadhi, the sage related to the Raj the rest, the balance of the Leela, involving the stunning nature of Sakirati witnessed by Brahma, Brahma's subsequent bewilderment, and his prayerful petition. It's <laughs> the close of this chapter, but the point here is that Sugadev passed out 
at the question of Raj Parikshit, which was, which constituted such a tension on his part to the narrative that this detail would be inquired about. Why, why, why did they tell it for a year? What's that about? And then the implications of all of that, what the answer would, would constitute. These things together, the sincerity and the attentiveness of Brigitte Maharaj and the implications of the answer in all, it short-circuited Sukadev and he passed out. But it's mentioned by some of the commentators that uh, of ancient, ancient times that uh, Yuga Goswami refers to that the uh, son of Brigitte Maharaj um, was ordered to assemble instruments for kirtan, a part of Pariksit Marsh, in case Sugadev passed out again because he had earlier. And so kirtan was performed by Narada and Sugadev was revived and the story goes on hmm, into the next chapter. That concludes our reading and explanation this evening. Shri Krishna Janamastami Ke Jai. Shri Brahman Mohan Leela Ke Jai. Any questions? Uh, I have a question. I probably should know this, but you said uh, that Saiyaji tries to purify the chitta. So, is chitta mind, or is chitta soul, or is chitta consciousness? What is chitta? Chitta is an aspect of the subtle body, which is uh, fourfold. It's chitta, buddhi, manas, and hunkar. So, Give me an example. Through chitta, we become aware of something, a sound. Through buddhi, we discriminate as to the nature of that sound and determine it's a flute. Manas, then, is the seed of desire, emotion, thought, and it determines whether I like the sound or I don't like the sound. Mm-hmm. Understand? And all of this is arising in the context of, of a hunkar, of an, of an identity, mm-hmm. a material sense of, uh, of identity. So this is the fourfold kind of composition of the antakaran, the subtle body. So uh, further, to take it further, the chitta is, is like the repository of all the impressions that we receive in the world. Mm-hmm. Impressions are unlimited. Impressions are stored there. It's um, uh, it's the it's the memory bank, mm-hmm. and those impressions that are stored there will play themselves out only when um, the the individual is in an, a corresponding environment. So, for example. You may have celestial impressions, hmm? but they won't play themselves out unless you're in heaven, hmm? um, or within within the earth, the earthly life. Their impressions, but they may not manifest unless you're in an, in an environment that corresponds to them. So there's all kinds of latent vasanas, samskaras. Some of them are stronger than others. Hmm? And just like for ourselves, some memories are very vivid for us in our childhood. It's something we remember. I give you one for example I was in 6th grade and I saw an Indian lady in a sari walking it just captivated me 
I always remember it. Like, what's that about? Hmm? Um, and so we all have these flashes of something like that. They're deeper samskar. They may be building on previous other samskars and so forth to take precedence in our life. So it, it, what what you have is these vrittis, impressions, and like impressions form together in a group that makes a samskar. Hmm? Samskars are then these combinations of vrittis that are ongoing and being collected as we go forward. And those samskars turn into vasanas, which are synonymous in one sense, but they're a more latent form of that collective of samskars that recedes to the background hmm, of our chitta and comes out in a corresponding appropriate um, environment. So we're, we're the, the chitta is just made up really constantly of all these uh, samskars, all the impressions that we become aware of. Hmm? So uh, that said, the the in the macrocosm, the what is it called Mahatattva. Uh, Mahatattva is the subtlest uh, form of material energy, mm-hmm. and that form of material energy is is what consciousness is reflected in, and starts the whole movement of the in the competition between the modes and so forth. And, and the unfolding of, of, of the material world. So that is the macrocosm of the chitta. And in each individual person, there's a microcosm of the mahatattva that's called chitta. It's the thing, the aspect of matter, psychic matter, I call it, subtle matter, subtle body, the aspect of psychic matter that is most closely resembling consciousness. It's not a conscious, but when in touch with the consciousness, it can it can hold it, that impression, reflect it, and then starts to act like consciousness. So sometimes the chit is referred to consciousness. It's not consciousness proper, but it's that aspect of material nature that has a subjective quality as a result of being in proximity to consciousness proper. Mm-hmm. Um, so in our worldview. You know, there there is there is um, there is this again the psychic matter, the subtle form of matter, um, and physical matter expands or unfolds uh, from it. The gross unfolds uh, from from the subtle. Um, so you could call. The chitta material consciousness, it's the chaita, chaita dark with a margin, mahapuka compared to a mirror, that if you place in front of something, then an impression will come on it, right? And if you place that chitta in front of Krishna, in the Krishna kirtan, then that image will come on it, and that will cleanse away other samskars. In a way that through yoga practice would be very difficult to do, by, by comparison. Still, the work is formidable at hand, but but um, it's a positive approach to a, a negative you know, issue or concern or problem. Material consciousness vitiated, you know, contaminated consciousness. 
So that is the chitta. Hmm? Um, yeah, and it takes it takes some booty. Hmm? You take booty and you turn booty in the direction of revelation. Hmm? Where you can hear about this and then you apply yourself according to the revelation and the chitta becomes cleansed as a result of that. If you do it in the context of bhakti, then buddhi yoga, so the name for bhakti, then those bhakti impressions come on and then it comes in the mind and the identity changes, Yankar transforms into the identity as a Krishna servant. So yoga is all about, uh, spiritual practice is all about dealing with the subtle body really, that's what it's about. Cleansing the impressions in the context of bhakti, putting positive bhakti impressions on the chitta. So, wherever you go, whatever you do, you're collecting these samskaras. <laughs> it can, if you look at it like this, the material world's pretty, pretty entangling. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I was reading uh, Bhagavatam last night, Vishwanath. Um, in his commentary on um, he's right before the Rasa Lila, um, he makes the comment that in separation from Krishna, his Aishvarya is more prominent. Um, in, and in unity, his sweetness is more prominent. Um, and so I was thinking tonight how you were talking how in Sakyaras, um Confidence is a um, dominant part of their study about. And so I was wondering, because of that confidence, um, I know when he goes to uh, Matura, um, they think, oh, he'll definitely come back. So I feel like there's not the same level of separation. Um, so I, I was wondering if it would be possible to say, like, Sakuras, the Aishvarya is like most suppressed in the sense that they don't experience the same separation in course of the Aishvarya. Well, the, I've written a, a whole section about their the nature of their separation mm-hmm. in the earlier section of the book. Um, and um, the way in which it um, plays a role in relation to the separation experienced in other rasas is how the confidence that is central to that rasa plays itself out in separation. Um, So, for example, when Krishna goes to Mathura, his friends go with him. And then there's a point where he's not going to return and he starts to send them back. Hmm? And he uh, uh, burdens them in one sense, but the Sakurati can carry the burden with the task of bearing messages to Jashoda, to to Radharani, and so forth. Um, And uh, mitigating, to some extent, their separation, that burden to some extent, lies 
with those friends. And of course, then you know the, the departure. They're 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 having to do so. Hmm, uh, ultimately, does turn into uh, experience their own personal separation, but the power of their confidence, so to speak, makes them um, e- enables them to be an instrument to, in, in some sense, in limited sense, but some sense, to um, mitigate the separation of others. But I wouldn't. Uh, Say that um, that those in Sakurasa, because of their confidence, don't experience Aishvarya. Is that what you're saying? To the yeah, same. Yeah, I was wondering if, if the Aishvarya would be suppressed the most. Well, uh, you know, I mean. Uh, I know that Vishnu Chakritakar says that Aishwarya tends to manifest in separation, but it also is manifested in lifting over the hill, and, uh, and that's not a, that's not a uh, separation leela. And of course, you see how the cowards respond to it with confidence when their own sticks up and so forth. Um, yeah, he makes the point that the devotee will experience Krishna's Aishwarya. Not necessarily that Krishna will show more Aishvarya in separation, but then separation the devotee will experience more. Yeah, I remember him saying that. I have to look at what it, what what, it, what it, exactly how he said it to, to comment uh, further. But um, I don't think that you can say that Sakurasa is such that whatever separation is experienced. Whatever by Aishvarya's experience of separation um, is less in their case than others. Uh, I've never um, thought about that, but I haven't seen anything said to that effect. And I kind of understand your reasoning that they're having their confidence and so forth in Krishna, but um, I don't think that that um, justifies your your conjecture on that, but I should look and see what exactly he says about Aishvarya in in, in separation. Um, yeah, don't weigh in any further on it. Yeah, it struck me interesting because I I never really thought about that so much. Yeah, exactly what he's thinking there. That's, you know, I could, I can only speculate uh, without looking at it. But the 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 godhood of Krishna may play have more play in that uh, those those kind of circumstances where the. Their, their plight is is considerable, and you might hear in the prayers to Krishna, the petitioning of Krishna, statements like, "Oh, you're the God." You know, for the Braj Basis, it doesn't it doesn't they may harp on that part. Narayan has empowered you. People say you're the God. 
if it's true, you know, make a resolution to our our plights and so so forth. Something like that would be an example of some Aishwarya conception of Krishna subtly, slightly manifesting in separation. You could look at you might find that in some prayers that sensibility comes out a little bit more, which wouldn't have any any um, much opportunity to arise in in union. You follow? Yeah. Yeah. Like Radha's prayer to the bumblebee, how she like thinks, oh Krishna, doesn't she like? I haven't read through it too much, but like halfway through, she. Um, Yeah, I'd have to look at it too. Then why? Okay, see Krishna Jonas, maybe. Jai. Thank you.